and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we're looking at Minute 101, which begins with Hicks continuing to fire wildly at some aliens and ends with Vasquez firing grenades. And that's Mitch Bryan back again. It's going to be just me and Mitch again this week. Uh, thanks for coming back, Mitch. Thank you. We both have... Um, we all have kind of weird sounding. I sound like Lauren Bacall. My voice is so scratchy. And, oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Because uh, it's it's cold season, I guess, around here. Should I do Bogart? No, don't. The whole time. No, or, don't. Oh, okay. Hey, um, we have dogs around here, so I'm yeah. just going to say that up front. All week, all week. It's not just John and Mitch. It's John and Mitch and Olive and Maisie. So you may hear dogs shaking and running around and. One of the microphones violently with one of us yeah. and knock over the microphone for all we yeah. have. So we'll see. But it's part of the fun, you know? It's part of the character of Alien Minute. These dogs have been mascots for this show for a long time. <laughs> That's so. right. So this is an uh, action-packed week ahead yes. of us. Uh, yeah, well, I you know what? It's action-packed last week, week was, every week. Last week was action-packed, too. But yeah. this, is, this, is, this is really, really crazy. And it's beautiful. Like, we're going to talk a lot about how this whole thing is constructed mm-hmm. and um, the fact that there is a lot of writing involved in an action scene. Yeah. There are lot, there's lots of thinking uh, and putting things in an order that's going to intensify the suspense and creating mini engines within the, cons, the, the within the sequences. So I think there's a lot to talk about, despite the fact that in some ways not a lot happens, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess a lot happens in the sense that we could call this week death week as yeah, well. That's true. We're going to lose a lot of characters, a lot of very well-rounded characters this time. We had a big um, you know, kind of slaughter early on in the movie with some side characters that we didn't know all that well. We knew their names. We got a character beat or two from them, and then they were dispatched quickly in order to demonstrate to us how high the stakes are here, how how dangerous the situation really is, and how people can be taken out. They weren't just pawns, but they were close to it. Yeah. In this case, we have fully fleshed out characters that are going to die multiple times this week. So that kind of stuff is happening. Um, as far as you know, driving plot forward, no, we're in action mode. We're we're now. Seeing, we're now at the boiling point of what we've been building up to for so long, where we've been given the idea that, okay, well, we know how dangerous the aliens are. We know that they're a gathering army. We know that we've uh, th- these Marines have done what they can to keep them out. But we also know full well that it's a matter of time before they're not going to be able to keep them out anymore. And now they haven't. They've, they forgot about the ceiling, you know, as we talked about last week. They forgot that that was a possible uh, in route. And now they're uh, uh, fully under attack. There are um, 46 cuts in these 60 seconds. I counted them. Wow. And, You're a uh, cut counter, huh? I, I don't usually do that, but it got me to thinking about how this movie is typical of what was happening in the 1980s in terms of accelerating the amount of cuts. Um, that Not that it started in the 80s. Uh, I just showed The Wild Bunch to one of my classes. And in my research uh, leading up to it, I came across a statistic that in 1969, the average movie had about 600 cuts in the entire film, and The Wild Bunch has like 4,500, et cetera. You know, so it's so it's super fast cut. Um, and it, there's a it made me think about this guy David Boardwell, who has a really wonderful film blog and who's written lots of books for film school. If you've gone to film school, you've probably read David Boardwell, and um, he came up with this 
this theory or this this thing he calls intensified continuity, where he basically was cut counting. He went back and started looking at movies um, starting back in the 30s, and he was he said uh, that between 1930 and 1960, uh, it, it shifted from about 300 cuts to about 600 or 700 cuts. Right, so it accelerated to some degree, um, but the and the average shot length hovered between eight and 11 seconds. And then by the mid sixties, uh, the average shot was between six and eight seconds. And believe it or not, Goldfinger, um, is recognized as one of these movies that actually sped up editing and it became like four seconds. The average shot was about four seconds in Goldfinger. Uh, and then in the eighties, it, it intensified mainstream films, five to seven seconds. Um, uh, by the century's end, it was like three to six, uh, you know, seconds. So the shots just get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, and even directors like Mike Nichols, who really preferred working in a in mise-en-scene and making longer takes and moving everybody around within the frame, even he sort of admitted to getting caught up in how much fun it is to be able to 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 shoot more and then, you know, subsequently cut more. Sure. Um, but I think that in uh, in this movie, you really... You really see it, especially in these in these action sequences, the way that that Cameron gets a lot of mileage out of a lot of shots. And if you look at the way that this particular minute is constructed, uh, with the exception of the one moment when the alien dives in off from screen right onto Hicks right after Hudson has has died. That's the only time that there's like an alien in the frame with these characters. Everything else in this minute is them firing off screen mm-hmm. and then cut to a reverse of aliens getting blown away. So obviously you shoot all this stuff with your people blasting their guns. And then on another day you go and you shoot all the aliens getting shot, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking about when I was watching this minute is that you get these cutaway shots and these exploding aliens. We got it a little bit, you know, the, the fully exploding aliens with the sentry guns and the director's cut. Um, but how much... How difficult would that be to set these shots up and actually have them, you know, have some sort of over the shoulder shot of that happening as cool as that would have been. It would be nice to get like one of those maybe if they were going to pull it off. But I think you see a lot in this um, minute in particular, even where you can see how it was hard. This was a tough shoot, like where they had to patch things together and they had to do things like, okay, we're going to just have, have you shooting guns, um, we're going to do close-ups of like Hudson, for instance, we'll get into that close-up of Hudson right before he's taken under. Um, that is always struck me as odd where you, you're yeah. in this close-up with him and he's turning and he's indicating that there, he's surrounded by aliens and we never see one. Right. And he's actually t- doing the old, like who's next? What, who wants more? Who wants some of this kind of thing? You know, he's selling Which it. Is, man. Yeah. He's totally selling it. And yet you wonder when you're watching it, you know, closely like we are, you go, huh, what, this is a strange choice, though. Like, you would think that uh, it seems a little cartoonish, and maybe they would have been able to pull off a, some more uh, cross-cutting something or over-to-the-shoulder shot, like I mentioned before. Given its ambitions and how much they have going on in this entire movie, it's a low-budget movie. Because okay. they really didn't have the money that they really needed to make a movie this big. And it's only through the ingenuity of James Cameron that they were able to create this vast scale uh, with a relatively small budget. And so this is a perfect example of how you do that. You, you, you shoot your aliens on another day and you, you know, cover the hell out of your actors blasting off camera. The, it, I um, saw that De Palma documentary mm-hmm. where uh, De Palma was talking about when he was making Scarface that Al Pacino grabbed 
one of the machine guns by the barrel and it was hot and it burned his hand. And so he had to go to the hospital for two weeks. Right. So what well, all De Palma did was kill people for two weeks in that big fight, big shootout <laughs> oh, at the he end. he did that. And Sp- he said Spielberg came over and, the, and they, they did some shots together and they figured out, so, well, let's do this, you know, because mm-hmm. Spielberg was on the lot at Universal. Um, then it made me think about that. You know, there's, there are not a lot of linking shots in this minute with, um, but it's smart because when that one alien does jump in off off camera right after Hicks goes down or right after Hudson goes down, um, that's really all you need. It makes it absolutely clear that they are definitely in the same space and, mm. and you get that. Well, I will go back to last week, though, for a second. And it's something that I meant to mention and failed to mention. We do get that one, like really early in the attack, we do get that one nice pan over from Vasquez. Um, we pan left. She started firing, cut to behind her. We mm-hmm. get her on the right, and she pans. Oh, I've always loved that shot because mm-hmm. it also it also shows us for the first time how agile these new aliens are too. Because they're jumping over like gorillas, right, know, like right. monkeys, yeah. And um, it's a great shot, and it even feels like it, this is another one of those times where I'll say, um, I maybe thought that was a pan and scan thing uh, when I originally saw it. That that pan over almost feels like mechanical in a way that it might have been a pan and scan uh, addition uh-huh. to a VHS tape. But so we did establish already. One single shot where we have one of our Marines and we have the aliens and we have the violence occurring yeah. between them. So then we can get efficient right. and cut back and forth. And we've already sold the idea. And then we pay it off again with Hicks. So we get this death and then we get this, uh, uh, we get Hudson's death, which we'll talk more about. But we get this alien jump over and it's like, okay, back again. We see that they're in they're here together. They're all in the same space. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you even see that we're talking about the efficiency or the um, uh, kind of low budget nature, nature of the shoot. There's a flaw in here. Did you notice the strange moment, the mistake that's in this? No, minute? no. Uh-uh. Uh, it's right at the beginning of the minute. We get, uh, we open with Hicks firing, and we get a little pan over. As he moves to his right. Uh, we pan over with him, and the sound effects are all a little off. And then, if you look in the background, you see Gorman uh, firing a gun, but he's not firing a gun at all. Oh, really? It is William Hope pretending to fire a gun and no, there's no muzzle, uh, flare, the flash or, uh, I think there's a sound effect that's supposed to match it and it doesn't, you can hear kind of a, I don't know, kind of a sound of a gun, but there's no indication that there's anything being fired. And you know, this is one of those things where if you understand the, the strenuous schedule of this film, the lack of money they had to shoot as much as they want, the schedule they were trying to, the deadlines they were trying to hit with everything, you go, yeah, I get it, man. You're, you're going to have to have one of those here and there. Well, they also have a strobe that that's firing off camera. So yeah. you have one person firing, and then there's a strobe going as if to suggest that the light of the muzzle flash is making the whole the whole space sure. strobe. But if you look at it, you realize that those muzzle flashes are not bright enough to actually make that strobe. So it's you know it's smoke and mirrors and light and sound, and it's all that good stuff that we go to the movies for. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, to me... It's fine. Like, I don't care <laughs> at all if Gorman is acting like he's shooting a gun in the background and there's no actual fire from coming from the gun. His gun like jammed. His gun jammed. He was panicking. Yeah. Who knows? It's as Gorman. Is his, you know? As is want to do. Yes, right. he's want to do that. So um, so let's talk about Hudson. Uh, this is his big minute, right? Yeah. It's really his big moment in the whole movie. His wow well, sound when yeah. he dies. Uh, and, you know, he's calling every uh, alien a motherfucker and uh, goading them to come after him. And uh, what, do, what do you think, though, about uh, this? I'll just play devil's advocate on this because I like this moment. I always have. And I've always liked how this uh, closed his arc because he spent so much time whining, fussing. Um, 
and then coming through when he's calm. Mm-hmm. And now we are we actually have him in that moment that he's been fretting about, and he's bloodthirsty, mm-hmm. right? What do you make of that? Do you think that is a motivated character turn, or do you think that we're just giving him the glory here for the sake of it? Do you think this is an earned moment with this character? It's earned in the sense that we actually want to see him do that. Yeah. It, whether it's logical or not, whether he would really do that, I don't know. But we sure have been waiting for him to be heroic because as much fun as we're having listening to him say game over and all that stuff, um, he's kind of a pain in the ass. And so to have him have a redemptive moment, as, as will as eventually other characters are going to also have these redemptive moments, um, it's great, you know, audience-pleasing stuff, right? Yeah. And, I mean, realistically, who's to say – how a person's going to react in a situation like this, even if they seem frightful, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe they would in in this situation, their actual response would be just to put, squeeze the trigger and keep it down, you know, and, and uh, who knows? I believe it. I'm fine with it. It's just kind of funny when you think about the whole, all the setup to his character leading up to this, you would think he'd fire off a few shots and and go running. Yeah. But he doesn't. He doesn't. It is pleasing. He doesn't do a Lambert. No, not at all. He doesn't freeze. He and, doesn't and we're kind of, we were, I mean, wouldn't it have been great to have seen Lambert fight back? Yes. Like, I think that would have been really fun. But, you know, that's I, good for them for sticking to their guns uh, in Alien because, as we've said many a time, Alien doesn't want to be liked. Aliens does want to be liked. Yep. And Aliens wants to give you as much entertainment value as it possibly can. And so we've been waiting. I, I would think there's an argument to be made that, that um, Hudson's the most beloved character in the film. I mean, outside of Ripley, but yeah. Maybe even more than Ripley. I'm, in, in so far as that he's, you know, he's more us, the way that Lambert was us, right? Sure. And so we kind of forgive him because he's so funny at the way that he whines. We forgive him his whining. We are entertained by it. He's pretty funny. He's kind of the loose cannon, but he's not a bad, evil loose cannon. We have another evil loose cannon we'll be dealing with here in a couple of minutes. Yeah. But, um, but I don't know. I think he's so beloved that when he, you know, finally redeems himself with that blaze of glory we really really love it i think yeah and it's it's a good moment for him because he's holding his ground and would have continued to hold his ground had the ground not, <laughs> not gotten sucked into it right in. yeah and, and you know we could uh, i'll just give this lip service for a second ripley did mention the possibility of something under the floor that they missed earlier mm-hmm. apparently they did <laughs> apparently she was yeah. right uh, we were talking last week about how they deduced that the ceiling uh, they were coming through the ceiling because they had she just kind of checked the boxes of what else it could be. The only thing left is the ceiling. Oh, shit, they're up there. Uh, turns out they were under the floor as well. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that doesn't work logically either, but I don't care because it's a really great moment to have him holding his ground, the ground give out under him and suck him under. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really amazing death. While he continues to fire, he's firing at the alien that's taking him down. And Hicks H- tries to save him, which gives Hicks a moment too, right? Which is, according to Michael Bean in the commentary on the Blu-ray, uh, was a moment he had to suggest and kind of fight for. Uh, apparently, it was just going to be Hudson gets sucked down. And Michael Bean was like, yeah, I think I should go for him. Don't you think, James Cameron? And James Cameron and him had to talk it out. And he finally gave in and said, yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I think it's good for both of the characters. I think it's good for reminding us of the relationship that we have among these Marines. Like, nobody's going to let somebody just get sucked under the floor. And uh, and it gives us just another, yeah, it just gives us one more little beat with, with Hudson, and, and it gives Hicks that moment as well, that hero moment as well. 
But um, and then and then there he's, he's gone. Yeah, Edge, he's gone. Hudson, uh, rest in peace, buddy. No, Sorry it had to be so rough for you, but um, glad you went out the way you did. It was a very here we go. This is James Cameron again, um, serving his characters. He's very he was very good at that early on. I mean, I wouldn't say he he's bad at serving his characters now. I don't I don't think that's one of his flaws as a filmmaker in his in his more recent years. But he he sure did making this big loud action movie um, keep the characters in mind and always gave them. I don't think anybody gets a bad death in this movie unless it was intentional. Like in those those early moments, like we said, right. these characters that were barely fleshed out kind of needed to be bad. It needed to show how in over their head they were. So they aren't all here. They don't all go out like heroes. But the characters he fleshes out, he gives them a nice heroic sense. I'm also so. glad that once Hudson got, dies, that the, it keeps going. That you don't have time to mourn him. You don't have time to make no. some sentimental move. I think the fact that. Um, Hicks grabs him was a good choice because it gives you at least one more, you know, second or two to actually process and realize that he's done for. And so by the time he's gone, the story just keeps on moving, which I think is a really terrific, you know, thing. We have all seen the bad version of this where somehow the movie miraculously seems to stop so that everybody can, you know, mourn somebody. And it's just uh, it's great. It's that's not how it would work. So it feels very honest and authentic and so we get yeah like you said the action continues uh, hicks takes off down the hallway uh, in the direction of ripley and newt and vasquez our uh, our badass stays behind to, to cover and, and i think that's a good that's thoughtful moment for vasquez of course that's who would do that right she's gonna get rid of a few of them give them a few extra seconds i don't know if she's aware of the door being locked i don't know if they're all aware yet that they have that that extra obstacle to right. get over, but she's certainly not taking any chances. And then we also, in this moment, we get our first uh, uh, glimpse of the grenade launcher. We get mention of the grenade launcher right uh, earlier. We get the grenades. I think we get some mention of them early when the ammo is stowed, right? Maybe. And also when he shows off the gun. To when he shows Ripley. off the gun, for sure, is when we actually learn that there is a grenade launcher. We were told in no uncertain terms that this is going to be a thing, and so he um, uh, Vasquez here then uses it. So that's, I think we're getting three beats with the grenade launcher, right? We, we're, the third one's later. Yeah. But um, we get the mention of it. We teach the audience, because I don't think in 1986 this would be something, this is a pretty innovative thing, right? Uh, I don't know. Got, Tony Montana had a grenade launcher on, right. his, uh, on, his, right. on, his, on his M16, I think. Talking about Scarface again in the same episode. Yep. Yeah, you're right. So that's the idea behind it. We make sure the audience is aware of it. We see Vasquez use it, who's the person that should be using it first. And... Um, so this is all in character for her. And it also gives her, you know, I mean, we're foreshadowing a little bit that she's she's the one that's going to keep the rear um, and and cover them from behind, which will end up uh, coming back to be a meaningful moment for her later. So, uh, of course, later we'll get, uh, uh, even though uh, Hicks told Ripley she shouldn't be all that interested in the grenade launcher, well, later we're going to find out that she uh, knows how to use it. So we'll get that third beat with the grenade launcher. Uh, I want to continue to set the table for the week about this um, intensified continuity that I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Uh, and Bordwell says that there are these has has four elements to this intensified continuity. So the first one, as I said, is rapid editing, right? Right. And the second one is um, his is what he calls bipolar use of lenses, bipolar lens right. length. So you're cutting from a wide angle lens, maybe into a telephoto and it doesn't create any kind of, it used to be, that was a, you know, that was a no, no, that you had to be very uh, disciplined in, in, in what lens you cut from one lens to the next. And, and so 
certainly Ridley Scott was somebody when he was shooting Alien. You started to see this happen. I think it just goes along with multiple cameras. You're going to have one camera wide and you're going to have one camera tight and you might have another one that's even tighter. And so when you look at this sequence, you definitely see you know, a lot of shifts from wide to close, wide to close, wide to close, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing that uh, he talks about is, is uh, use of close-ups. Uh, and that has gotten even more crazy by the time now that we've, you know, here we are in, in 2017 and movies are just filled with close-ups from the very get-go because people watch movies on their phones now or people watch them on a tablet. And so you can't do Lawrence of Arabia on your phone, as David Lynch made very clear in that, that short, that, that short uh, little little film that he ta- talked about, mm-hmm. not watching movies on your phone because it's fucking stupid, right? Right. Um, so you've got this... Use of close-ups, and Cameron, I think, has always been somebody who loves close-ups and has never been particularly judicious with them. He, he just is going to use them when he can get something out of them. He's not holding them for the end. Right. And then finally, um, the fourth thing that Wardwell writes about is the idea of, of very wide-ranging camera movements. Um, and again, cutting from a moving camera to a static camera. Um, and this film has a really nice dolly uh, as it's following Hicks in this minute, early mm-hmm. on in, into it. There's not a lot of movement in it, but then there's that. There's obviously the handheld movement. There's there's running with, with them when they run into the corridor and the camera's tracking back with them. Um, so I'm just pointing this out because it is part and parcel of what would become the aesthetic that would drive the 80s into the 90s. It all came probably from commercials and MTV and that a whole bunch of directors came out of commercials and, and, and also MTV to make films. If you've ever seen a Russell Mulcahy movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, camera movement that makes absolutely no sense. I mean, all of these things are evident in Highlander, if you've, if you've oh, ever okay. seen that. You know, yeah. that's a, that's a, or, or Razorback, you know, it's like the MTV guy making a movie, right? right. Um, I think he even did a, I think he did a Resident Evil too, maybe, mm. one of the later ones. Um, so anyway, I uh, just point this out because it's all of these tricks have become kind of expected now in the way movies are made. But if you look at Aliens, you definitely can see all this stuff going on. Yeah. And to me, it seems to be uh, in, in this particular minute in the scene, uh, it's being used appropriately. Like there's nothing wrong with the camera movement. There's nothing wrong with the frenetic. Cutting. No, because the geography is clear. It's not like Gladiator right. where you're having that crazy fight in the middle of the arena and you can't tell who's going where and everybody's going different directions and it's totally disorienting. The geography is always so clear in this movie, which is yeah. one of the reasons I love it. Yeah. And you, and you get these, if you're going to use close-ups, you're going to use a close-up right before a character. You know, in the case of Hudson, we cut to this close-up. Not only does it make it a little bit easier, um, you know, we're, we're talking about we can shoot on one day with, with Bill Paxton just firing around and not have to set up a bunch of alien effects and so on. But um, this is a big moment. You know, let's let's get in close. Let's get personal with Hudson for one second. Before that hand comes out. over his entire face. Yeah, and that's a great moment, too. Yeah. That's a really great effect. Good monster movie effect. There. Good monster movie effect, um, and and so fast that you know if you blink you'll miss it. So that's that's yeah. another thing that's really great about this. They 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 really are withholding as much as, as they can of yeah. the aliens, and even when they go in close, they make a point that there's two or three things also going on in the shot, so that you you can't look too too long or you can't get too good of a look at anything, which is exciting. Yeah. Until we get to the end, at which point we're going to really see some stuff. Right. All right, well, that's all the notes I have for this minute. That's it for me, too. Okay, well, that's going to do it for Minute 101. You can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Twitter at AlienMinutePodcast, or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast, Twitter at AlienMinutePod. Sorry, I do that all the time. Uh, it's Monday, so let's thank Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer once again from Star Wars Minute for coming up with this concept and letting us use it. 
All right, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 102.